Welcome everybody, my name is Jon and you're listening to the Wiener Nordic Podcast. The Wiener Nordic Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with the latest news and inspiring stories relating to how God is at work in the Wiener Nordic community. It doesn't take a lot of faith to see what's wrong in someone's life. It takes a lot more faith to see the goal in someone and pull it out. I like to talk about the prophetic in our cultures like You're actually mining the gold, you're chipping away everything else and finding the vein of gold, of grace in people's lives and actually calling it out. And we begin to hold people to account. We're calling you up to who God says you are and how God sees you. Today, I'm very happy to invite a dear friend of mine, but also to us in the Vina Nordic. And it's Dave Scheil, who is part of the leadership in the, the Signal Church in Cape Town, South Africa. And in this conversation, we're talking about living in the prophetic, where Dave shares a lot of own experiences, how he has grown in the prophetic. And he's talking out of three lines where he's talking about moving from prophetic ministry to prophetic lifestyle and moving from prophetic celebrity to prophetic community and also moving from prophetic words to prophetic culture. And these are some of the things that we will unpack in this conversation. So... Get on and have a good listen. So very welcome today to another episode of the Vinia Nordic podcast. We are in the year of 2023 right now when we are releasing this, but it's still 2022 when we are recording this. And today I'm very happy to have Dave Child all the way from South Africa here. Welcome. Oh, thanks. You're so good to be with you. Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm well, thank you. We are in silly season down in Cape Town, South Africa. Everyone is getting ready for Christmas. Everyone is getting ready for summer. So it's a wonderful time of year. It's a busy time of year. So we're trying to wrap everything up with our business and uh, looking forward to seeing family and having what will hopefully be a relatively normal Christmas this year. So yeah, all good. That sounds good. And I mean, for you and for me, Christmas is two different things because you have summer when it's Christmas and we have winter when it's Christmas. How is it to have summer celebrating Santa Claus and all of that? <laughs> oh, you know, it's a crazy thing because we like, we follow in like a lot of the American or like European type traditions with the food that we eat, which is like winter food. Yeah, But, you know, growing up in South Africa, your Christmas is always associated with like swimming at the pool and barbecues or what we call the braai and spending time in the sun and at the beach. So, yeah, it's always like an amazing blend of summer holiday and Christmas and the festivities. So it's probably one of my favorite times of the year. Yeah. And you're off for quite a while during that time? We take our summer holidays over, yeah, December, Jan. So yeah. when you guys are all cuddling up warm by the fire, we're enjoying our summers. Sounds so good. <laughs> yeah, we actually met, I mean, we met many times, but we met last summer and many of the listeners might have seen you on our summer camp actually two years and maybe been at some of your seminar as well. Tell us about it. How was it to be in Sweden? Yeah, man, oh, it's always just such a incredible privilege to come over to Sweden. We first met in 2019 when I was doing some traveling My wife, Jenna, was doing some musicals in Germany and Austria. And I popped over to Nordic Summer Camp 2019 on a whim, invited by a friend. And, you know, sometimes when you end up meeting people that you feel like you should have known your whole life, 
feel like that's the kind of connection I had with people from the Nordic region. And yeah, you know, that week in Sweden in 2019 really like marked me. It was a, an amazing time. And then, yeah, it was quite incredible. You guys said, why don't you come back in 2020? And then fast forward <laughs> two years in COVID and that became 2022. And I came over with not only myself, but Jenna, my wife and our son who'd never actually jumped on a plane before. So we all flew over and it was just an incredible time. God was doing yeah. some amazing things. Yeah, it was really good having you here. Speaking about you, and we will dig down a little bit more later on, but what are you doing in life and how is your everyday life look like? So I work in a company with a business partner of mine, an old friend from years back, and we've been involved in various forms of property development in in Cape Town and Joburg here in South Africa for quite a few years. So my day-to-day, I'm involved in business and in the property industry. And when I'm not doing that, I'm helping my wife, Jenna, raise our first son, Jude. He's almost 17 months. So the last year and a half has been pretty wild for us. We live in Cape Town. We're actually in the city. We have an amazing view of Table Mountain, actually. So we, we love being city dwellers. And Cape Town is quite a unique city in that you can probably always be within 15 or 20 minutes of either being on the mountain or in the sea. So mm. I'm still trying to twist Jon's arm to come and visit us. But yeah, so we're part of a church down here in the city called Signal Community Church, Signal Vineyard. And I'm part of the leadership team with Jen and my wife. And yeah, we've been there for almost next year will be 10 years. Yeah, you become Vineyard a couple of years ago, right? As a church? Yeah, so the church was originally known as Woodstock Community Church. And Woodstock is a neighborhood just on the outskirts of the city center of Cape Town. And it went through quite a renaissance in the last five to 10 years where it was traditionally quite a industrial, quite a disregarded area. And people started moving in and renovating houses and starting businesses. And there was a whole creative boom in Woodstock. And during that time, some friends of ours had moved in around 2009, 2010, and they just were really interested in what God was doing in that area. They hadn't intended to start a church, but they just started meeting in each other's houses and what was like a pre-meeting home group became a church mm. and kind of, it was quite a unique church in that everyone in the church was probably between the ages of like 25 and 35. So it, we were all kind of figuring out what we were doing and you know, there was no full-time staff. In fact, there was probably no paid staff for a long time. And as the church morphed and as we matured, we realized, you know, there's something really powerful and there's something really beautiful of being part of a bigger family and a bigger expression of church. And we'd always had links to the vineyard movement through Dave and Colleen Pedersen, who, whose sons actually started the church, Caleb and Luke, many of you guys will know them. Mm. So, um, you know, I think it was 2018, we were figuring out where we were going to meet as a church because we would had been in like mechanics, warehouses and all these various venues. And eventually we realized we needed more space and we moved out of Woodstock for a season. And so we thought we need to change our name if we're not meeting in Woodstock. So we went from Woodstock Community Church to Signal. And at that time, we felt it was the right time to formally join the venue. So since about 2018, Sounds amazing. If you were to describe yourself with three words, what would those be? Wow. Three words. Are you putting me on the spot? I think I, I would say I'm a bit of a nerd. Yeah. Nerd. <laughs> yeah. People in what way? In what way, way then? 
No, I think I've always just loved, like my dad is lectures theology. I was brought up in a house that was like really prized, like academics and intellectuals. So I've always had a bent towards that. And I think I just, I find myself drawn to like listening to a lot of podcasts and trying, you know, trying to get my head around certain like intellectual and fascinating things. And at the same time, you know, just being open to what the Lord's doing. So I think there's an aspect of me that really enjoys like being engaged in mind. I think celebration would probably be another word that's a big thing for me. Jenna and I have always loved celebrating life, celebrating people. I mean, we're living in Cape Town. We, it's not hard to do that. And I think we always just, you know, when you're married to someone who's involved in theater and the arts, you always find yourself in faces involving music and dancing and mm. creativity and celebration. And I think a big part of our expression as a church over the years has been celebration. So I think that would be another word. And I think at my heart, I like to think of myself as a musician. So I, I grew up playing the piano. And I think music for me has always been something that's been close to my heart, even though it's not been something that I've been involved in professionally at all. But I would like to be regarded as that. I sometimes play the piano in the band in the worship team at church. So, but yeah, music's always playing in our house and it's open rocks. I think it's one of my loves. Sounds really good. Before we're going to get to know you a little bit more deeper from your own background, I want to ask you some quick questions. And since you're actually all the way from South Africa, I have to know what's the best thing with South Africa? Okay, I'm just going to put my neck on the line here and say the food. Yeah. Um, may, and maybe I'm speaking more for Cape Town. We've got some incredible restaurants out here. But I think if you, anyone who's spent time with South Africans or any time in South Africa knows that whenever we do anything, whenever we gather, it always involves incredible food and we love to braai yeah. and barbecue. And it's just a big part of our life, you know, eating yeah. and sitting around the table. And I think that's where you have your best conversations is where you share life. We have a small home group together and we always love to eat together. It's something that does something in people's hearts. Yeah, sounds really good. We actually started a new tradition here in our neighborhood to have a Thanksgiving dinner every year. So now we're about to have our second one. So that's really oh, nice. Awesome. And we actually going to try to do the turkey for the first time now. So hopefully it will end in a successful story. <laughs> we'll <laughs> see. Let me know how it goes. Seen too many movies where they don't succeed. So we'll see. Uh, w- what is your definition of leadership? I think for me, the essence of leadership would be servanthood. I think the greatest leaders that I can think of, the people that I would admire and uphold as leaders always have level of incredible humility in spite of, you know, outstanding gifting. And mm. uh, the greatest leaders, I think, are those who are able to serve and build away from themselves. So good. And the last question, if you could choose three persons, dead or alive, that you could have a dinner with at the same time, who would those three people be? Oh, wow. I think, I think I'd like to have dinner with David from the Old Testament. Yeah. I think he just fascinates me as a person, as a character. I think Nelson Mandela, because as a South African, there's just so much of his legacy that we, that we live in. And I actually never got to ever be in a room with him, in spite of knowing many people who did get to meet him. And then I think the third, third person I think could be, what well, people, I can add, would probably be, I've always wanted to meet, to meet my parents at the same age that I am. Oh, that's a good one. Some time travel. Like. Yeah, like a little bit of a, like, let's be contemporaries and see like if we'd hang out. Yeah, that's good. 
Sounds really good. Okay, Dave, to hear a little bit more from your own life, what would be three stories from your life that have shaped who you are today? Um, I think the first would be the moment I really first encountered Jesus in a tangible way. So I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor from a, when I was quite a young age. He grew up in quite a conservative church. It was actually a cessationist church, so they didn't really believe in the gift of the Spirit. But in spite of that, you know, just part of my life. And when I was just about 13, I remember my, my older sister had encouraged me to go on the camp run by a scripture union for teen, like for teenagers and high school kids. And I was at the end of my first year in high school. Went on this camp at the end of the year and it was quite bizarre because I actually didn't know anyone and I was still quite shy at the time. And I went on this camp and it was an amazing time and we had like so much fun. But I think what really marked me was just the times of worship that we had over that week. And I think something happened in my heart. At the time, I didn't really have language for it because I'd grown up in a context where we never really spoken about the presence of God or the Holy Spirit or you know, encountering Jesus in that way. And I remember, I think it was the last or second last morning of that camp, just having such a moment of knowing God's presence, but probably not even be, being able to articulate that. And just asking one of the leaders to pray for me at the end of the meeting. And I just remember crying for like, I don't know, probably not that long, but in my memory, it felt like, like hours. And I just remember coming back from that camp, just knowing that Jesus was real, knowing that, um, there was something more in terms of like what Christianity and faith looked like. And I think for me, that's probably the like major turning point in my life. Second, I would say I, I was fathered by an incredible, incredible man who's a well-regarded prophet by the name of Julian Adams, him and his wife, Katia, many of you may know, they're part of the planting a, an incredible church in Boston in the United States. And I met Julian when I was still in high school, probably when I was in grade 11. So the second last year of high school and mm. um, he'd come and he was speaking at one of our camps at school for our Christian union. And I just remember being like, wow, what, what is happening? This guy is hearing from God and he was ministering prophetically to people. And I was like, wow, there's something that was just so attractive to me about that. And through a whole lot of circumstances, a few years later, after I left school, ended up in a youth meeting, I'll never forget, and with some friends of mine, and it was this combined youth meeting that Julian was speaking at. And I remember at the end of that meeting, he called me out and prophesied over me. And at the end of that meeting, came up to me and I said, wow, thank you so much. God really spoke to me. And he said to me, I feel like we're going to have a lot to do with one another. And mm, um, wow. probably for the next six or seven years, just became friends and he discipled me. And it was just such a formative time in my life because I remember just going with him to so many meetings where he would just minister or prophesy and just seeing what God was doing and like this healthy model of prophetic ministry where it wasn't just about what happened on the stage, but like full transparency of Mm. Of who he was. And I think that really marked me and it has shaped me in terms of like the prophetic call of God over my life. I think that's interesting. You said he brought you with him to like the ministry he was doing. If we open up that a little bit more, like how would you say his way of discipling you? How did that look like? And I mean, because I think we've been talking about that a lot. How do we raise the next generation? How do we raise leaders? How can we mentor? Like, how did he do? And why was that so, so good for you in that situation? Yeah, that's a great question. I think what really stood out for me was that it wasn't, you know, 
I think sometimes we can think of discipleship or we can think of mentoring as almost like this project where we've got to bring someone out of under our wing and we've got to like pour our lives into them for a reason for a season or, you know, to try and produce something. And I think what marked me so much in that time was that Julian was just an open book in terms of, it wasn't just about like, let just come out and like be with me when I go and do ministry, but really like, this is me, this is my life. Let's do life together. And I think that was probably the most healthy and the most helpful aspect of it was, you know, like I you said, get to see his everyday life in a yeah, way. You exactly. get to, you get insight in his life and he, yeah, he wasn't I, just a superstar on the stage or, you exactly. know. And I think he would often say, you know, the fruit of your ministry, just like Jesus, is not the number of people you get to speak to or minister to, but it's actually who you are replicating yourself into. Mm. So for Jesus, the real fruit of Jesus' ministry was the 12. And of that, probably the smaller select grouping I think it was the three or four. So he poured himself into people rather than pouring himself into, you know, ministries or opportunities. So that, that for me, I think, you know, and it was just like so many meals together and just, you know, sharing life and doing community together. So I think when we often look at it, we like, oh, we've got to make disciples. We've got to train people. We've got to, but actually the most effective way of doing that is fathering sons and daughters. When you father someone, you impart yourself to them. Yeah, so good. So good. Thank you so much for your stories. Do you have any any other things you're thinking about? I think a third one, a third one is actually just a funny one. I had to share it with you because it happened at summer camp in 2019 when I was with you guys in, in Sweden. And what happened was Dave Pedersen was ministering the one night at the summer camp. And I remember during worship, he came up to me, he said, Hey, Dave, like, why don't you ask God for like prophetic words? Cause we might do some prophetic ministry as part of my session. And, you know, we just want to encourage people. So I remember during worship just being like, Oh, like, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, here I am in Sweden and there's thousands of people like, this is my chance to start an international ministry. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But that was, you know, you can like get ahead of yourself. But it was funny because what happened is Dave got up and he was about to minister and he said, hey, I've got some people here. We're just going to do some prophetic ministry. And he called a few of us up. And then next thing I knew, someone just gave me the mic and said, okay, this is Dave Child. And I remember the only thing that I had was a word, someone's name, Petra. And so I just was like, is there a Petra here in front of like, I don't know, 1,200 people? And it felt like the longest minute of my life because no one responded. And I was like, oh my word, this is like the worst thing that can ever happen to someone. Like when you do prophetic ministry, you step out in faith and like no one responds. Mm. Anyway, some other guys prophesied and we got to pray for some people and it ended up being an amazing time. But the funny part of that story was during the rest of that week, I think I must have prayed for eight or nine people um, who'd come, who came up to me like individually and said like, hey, my brother's, or my sister's name is Pedro, or like that, you know, like it was significant for them. And the last mm-hmm. person I prayed for, I think on the last day of camp, was this lady, she came up to me and said like, I don't know if you remember that word, but my name is Petra and I was too embarrassed to respond. And uh, I share that story because I think What's so important is that like God always honors our risk. And even if we get it wrong in the prophetic, in that instance, like, you know, the only person who had egg on their face was me. So it was actually probably good for me to, you know, go through that experience of being humbled a bit. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's funny when you think sometimes like your words fall flat, God uses them anyway. 
And mm. I'll never forget that because when I came back to join you guys this past year in July, Dave was speaking again and he said, hey, like, we're going to do some prophetic ministry. And so I was like, cool, you know, I'll, I'll go again. And I kind of had a decision. Back to the crime scene. I was like, do I like, do I ask God for a word of knowledge or do I just like play it safe and be like, say like that person over there. And the only different thing that I did was like, I made sure I wasn't the first person to take the mic this time. And the only thing I had was I felt like someone had had broken their spectacles, their glasses. Mm. And I thought if I don't step out in faith, like I'm the only one who's like going to walk away, like having lost something. So I did it and actually immediately a guy at the back put up his hand. And the only crazy thing about it was because of all the lighting and because of where he was standing, I couldn't see his face. So I asked him to like come forward and he took like two steps forward and I still couldn't see his face. And I just thought, okay, what I'm going to prophesy over this guy who's the silhouette and like Mm. maybe God will do something. And turns out, um, he came up to me like the next day and said, wow, that was amazing. Actually, he'd broken his sunglasses on the way down to summer camp. And he said he remembers because it was like a really significant pair of sunglasses for him. And it was just amazing how God spoke to him using such a simple word and knowledge. So mm. kind of felt like a full circle moment of like, God, if I'm willing to trust you again, like, you know, will you do it? And that was really fun for me. So I thought I just had to share it with you guys. Yeah, that's really good. I remember that first time that night when you went up, I think there was many really profound words being shared that night and are powerful to see. Wow. So yeah. Yeah, that was really good. Thank you so much, Dave. And I mean, a lot in your life, as I know you personally as well, you're very much into the prophetic. And I mean, you also joined us for the youth camp and there was some powerful prophetic ministry there as well, I would say. And it's really good to see how God can, you know, he can use us all. And that's really what I like with the vineyard. Everybody gets to play and no hype and those stuff, but still to just I mean, for you living this life where it's really living in the prophetic in a way, how have you grown in that area? If we start from there. Yeah, I think that God is doing something at the moment where he's moving us from just prophetic ministry, if I air quotes, to prophetic lifestyle. Mm. So um, Dan McCullum, who's an amazing prophetic trainer and a prophet in the state, he got this beautiful line, he says, Prophecy isn't a ministry skill, it's a life skill. So and good. I think like you, prophecy at its essence for me is it's about communicating the heart of God to people. So if I as a husband or a father was only going to communicate my heart to Jenna, my wife, or my son Jude, when we had like formal family meetings or gatherings, like that would just be a little bit dysfunctional or, mm. you know, unhealthy that the heart of a loving husband or father is always to be communicating hard to your wife, your sons, your daughters, your children. So I think the issue when we talk about the prophetic or hearing God's voice, it's never, it's never really whether God is speaking, but actually whether we are listening. And I find like my default and something I'm trying to like chain myself and work myself out of is that I often only listen or prick up my ears when I'm in like a ministry context, you know? And I think what God is doing is he's moving us out that prophetic is for all of life, you know, it's for your family, it's for your work, it's when you're at the grocery store. And, uh, you know, I, I'm in the thick of parenting 101 and figuring out what it means to be a dad. And I'll never forget when Jude was a baby that first year. It's a crazy thing when you have a kid because they can't communicate back to you. And they start to like learn gestures and stuff. But the crazy thing is that you always end up 
just like talking to your baby. And I, I just remember thinking like, wow, this is like the Lord. Like whether we're listening, whether we even are knowing what he's saying, he's always speaking. You know, John says in John chapter 10, hear my voice. So we recognize his voice. And I think any of us who are believers or Christians, we responded to the voice of God. And I love to say like, if Adam and Eve could hear the voice of God after the fall, so when like when Eve and Adam had eaten the apple and it says, mm. God is walking the garden in the cool of the day. And he said, where are you? And even at the greatest point of the greatest human failure, you could argue in all of history, they could still hear the voice of God and he was still speaking. So I think what God's doing is he's doing something that he's taking the prophetic out of just those ministry opportunities or ministry zones. And he's moving it into a place where the prophetic begins to impact all of our lives. Yeah. And what would you say in this way of viewing it more as a lifestyle than a ministry? How does that take place in your life? How does it look like? I think one of the things is also just changing how I understand the prophetic. So this might be a bit of a roundabout answer, but I think often, and maybe this is more historic, but often the prophetic has been almost this like glorified form of fortune telling. You know what I mean? Like, oh, the prophet's going to come and like God's going to do this in the future. Or sometimes we just like to try and create formulas or methods in the prophetic where, you know, the way I like to think about it is if you just followed a formula and trying to get a supernatural result, the last time I read about that, that was called a spell or an incantation. So, you know, the heart of prophecy is actually to communicate relationships. And so just as it takes faith to step out and give a prophetic word, it also takes faith to receive a prophetic word. So I think what it means is that it really draws us into a place of deeper relationship with the Lord and that we don't just see prophetic as the prophetic as some kind of gift or some kind of ability, but it's actually about having this ongoing relationship with the Lord. We're listening to his voice, we're hearing what he's saying to us. I think it's also recognizing that God is wanting to do something prophetic where he wants to actually cause us to not only just bring better prophetic words, but actually live lives that are people, you know, the Bible talks about, I think it was Caleb. It says he was a man of a different spirit. And I think it, it's about actually saying, God, maybe our greatest prophetic impact could be actually being people of a different spirit in the culture that we live in. Mm. And almost saying like, how do we replace and displace the culture that we find ourselves in with the culture of the kingdom of God mm. as this prophetic statement of actually re realizing that God is wanting to redeem all of life. Mm. So I think yeah. those things that have been helpful for me. And I also think like, as you say, it's how do we bring another reality or another yeah. truth? I think sometimes it's maybe more easier than we think, or maybe not easier is the right word, but you know, Sometimes it's just about speaking love, speaking truth into people's lives, situations. I mean, just those kind of truths. It is prophetic. And I mean, it can, you know, shift atmosphere and, and relationships. And, you know, people, you know, that the relationship with them can shift so drastic when just speaking out things into their lives or just showing another kind of mentality towards how you are around people, how you take time for people and stuff like that. Yeah, and I think um, back in the day, like, Prophetic used to be known, I think, more in Pentecostal circles. It's like you would like call someone out and call out their sin. And actually, the prophetic is about seeing people the way God sees yeah. them. We often do an exercise in our church where we just say, like, pray for someone and ask God, what is what is their heavenly name? What is this person? What is you known as in the heaven? You might get a word like you are a bold eagle. 
whatever the case might be. But it's about actually, it doesn't take a lot of faith to see what's wrong in someone's life. But it takes a lot more faith to see the gold in someone and pull it out. Mm. So I like to talk about the prophetic in our cultures, like you're actually mining the gold and chipping away everything else. And you find mm. that in the South African gold mines, what they do is they, the guys, they're deep in the ground and they find what the, they call a vein of gold and they follow it. It often just like works its way through the rock structures. Mm. And there's something about finding the vein of gold of grace in people's lives mm. and actually calling it out and saying like, this is how God sees you. Mm. You might, you know, everything in your life might say that you're this way, but actually God says, no, he sees the gold in the life. And we begin to call that out and we begin to hold people to account where accountability is not so much about this is what you shouldn't be doing. But actually accountability is saying, I want to hold you account to who God says you are. And he says you're this. So we're calling you up to mm. who God says you are and how God sees you. And I mean, for me, around the prophetic, being around people that maybe have this, you know, more of a prophetic lifestyle, I would say it's really, you feel very confirmed and you you can really feel the presence of God very strong when, you know, that's what you kind of aim for in the conversations. You try to, as you say, try to dig out the gold or the good parts in people. And you really try to see those things and talking to that, those things. And I have a few in my life that are really, you know, trying to hear what God is saying. And, and you can feel that it's so much deeper and it's so much more, you know, meaning in those conversations. I mean, if we speak about that, what would you say like around this? How do we form or how do we make space for this prophetic, like a community to grow more yeah. among us? That's not just things happening in church when someone is in the front sharing words? How do we make that yeah. as a community yeah. part as well? Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And I think just as God's moving us from prophetic like ministry to prophetic lifestyle, at the same time, I also feel like God's moving us from prophetic celebrity to prophetic community, where I think what's happening is that there's more people than ever before on the face of the earth that are stepping out in the prophetic, the more people prophesying whatever before. So yeah, I feel like there's this rising wave, there's this rising tide. It's amazing when the Holy Spirit was poured out in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and he starts preaching and he repeats what the prophet Joel said in Joel 2, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then it says your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Hmm. And it's a mark of the Holy Spirit being poured out. And uh, I think as more and more churches are embracing the move of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, and that's becoming more normative in expression, at least in the West, I think more and more people are, are recognizing that they're hearing the voice of God and they're beginning to step out in the prophetic. And why I say that is because it means that no longer will it be that we just wait for the prophet to come to town or, you know, someone who's got a recognized prophetic voice and wait and like, this is the word of the Lord. Mm -hmm. But I think the heart of God is actually to raise a prophetic king. That when God says he will establish prophets in the fivefold ministry, the, the role of a prophet is actually an equipping gift, just like a pastor, an evangelist, or a teacher or shepherd is actually to teach other people how to prophesy. So we're not after actually raising a, a, a prophets for platform, but we are after raising a prophetic fathers and mothers so that we have more prophetic sons and daughters. Yeah. And wouldn't you say that part of the discipleship making is actually 
making prophets, or I mean, as part of being Jesus' disciple, we're also called to speak his truth mm -hmm. into people's yeah. lives. Yeah. yeah, I just love it that it says your sons mm -hmm. and your daughters will prophesy, that it's not just men and women, but it's actually men and women, a son and daughter, in by nature, their identity is they have a father and they have mm. a mother. And I think Chris Valentin said an amazing thing that I wrote down a few months ago, listening to teaching was doing, and he said, we don't need more prophetic words. We need prophetic mothers and fathers who can actually grow some. Mm. So one of the things that's really exciting in our church and that we've started doing in the last few months is there's about 10 of us in a little prophetic team. And we are, we're starting to just form a prophetic, I like to call it a prophetic company or prophetic team, prophetic community where we just, as the small grouping of us saying like, how do we start to take responsibility for the grace of God on our church? I think we're, we're really fortunate that signal. We've always had this culture in our church where prophecy is something that's normal. It often happens in our meeting. We just said like, how can we start to steer that better? And there's a beautiful quote from Graham Cook. I think some of you guys might know. He says, when you do with intention, what you've done by intuition, you get acceleration. Oh, wow. so often we like often we do things intuitively. We just have a feel like, are we in our church? We prophetic, and we would often, if you're a new person, won't you stand up? We're gonna pray for you. Want to give you a word from God? Like there's an intuitive sense of like God is doing something. It's organic, and when we take that and we begin to just be a little bit more intentional about it, we get acceleration, and so. I'm really excited about that because it means that there's now a group of people, men and women, who are actually saying like, what does this look like? What do we, how do we start to like cultivate prophetic? We want to build a community where people know not just what the prophetic word is over their own lives, but know what the prophetic words are over other people's lives. And say like, hey, like, I know what God said over you. Like, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to hold you to account for that. And someone in our team said something so powerful the other day. They said, being part of community is an act of spiritual warfare. And I thought, wow, like, mm. if you think about what we've been through. Yeah, because like, everything is making us go the opposite way. Yeah. We're more isolated and all apps and all, everything is to create us from each other almost. Yeah, and I, and I think one of the, like, one of the biggest things that came with COVID and lockdowns and all of that was just like, there was such an onslaught of isolation with people. And I think whenever, like, you read the scriptures, like the enemy always tries to isolate us. Like at the fall, he was isolated. Even when Jesus was tempted, he was isolated. And I think there's something about community that we underestimate the power of it. And, you know, if you're familiar with that passage in Isaiah 61, where he talks about God will raise up oaks of righteousness. And then it carries on and it says, a planting of the Lord for the display of the splendor. And that's, that word planting just like caught my attention recently. And I looked it up and it could mean like a vineyard or an orchard. And I just thought, isn't that beautiful? God is raising up oaks of righteousness, but they're in it. They're in this planting. They're in this orchard, in this vineyard, like where there are other oaks of righteousness also growing. So there's something so powerful about recognizing that we actually need community for ourselves just to be healthy individuals, healthy believers, but also I think there's something so powerful that happens when the prophetic comes in the context of community. And sometimes I think we've done it the wrong way. We've kind of made everything so individual that when someone gets a prophetic word, it's almost like you got to walk that out. But actually, I think that 
the prophetic should always happen in the context of community. So we can work out and walk out the words together. Yeah, and how would you, what would you say to people listening, being part of a church, maybe they are leading church or they're just part of a church leading a small group, how could they start a process or a way towards getting this more as a normal thing, as you say, more as a culture in the in in the meetings or in every gatherings or just in, you know, phone calls or anything? How would you say mm-hmm. that we could help to live out the prophetic? I think one of the things that is helpful is to create context and cultures in our churches or in our communities or, or small groups where we intentionally model what it looks like. So one of the things we're trying to do now is that we don't ever want it, the prophetic to just look like one person. It's like, that's the prophet, like Dave gets up and prophetic moves. So I think creating context, either if it's in a small group or in a Sunday meeting where there are more than, there's more than one voice, prophetic voice in the room or in the meeting. You know, the Bible says we see in part, we prophesy in parts, which means that like, I only have one part. And so if there's more people bringing prophetic words, like we putting the pieces of the puzzle together. So actually there's more beauty and there's more expression when there's not just one voice. I think also moving away from seeing the prophetic as some kind of overly spiritual or spiritualized gift. I think sometimes we can make it weird, like if I don't like blow the shofar, wave the flag, the suck. You've got to like be a, a little bit of a crazy. One of the things we're trying to go after is God speaks to people in the language that they understand. So when we model prophetic ministry, when we start doing it, it means we can speak in a language that people understand. It doesn't have to sound all super spiritual. It doesn't have to be thus saith the Lord. And I think that's one of the things that John Wimble was so good at, just making things down to earth. And I think at the heart of it, the prophetic the most basic form of a prophetic word is an encouragement. Mm. When Paul writes about prophecy, he says like prophesy for their encouragement, their strengthening and their comfort. And if you don't know where to start, just start with encouragement. And I think we can sometimes dial down encouragement to just being like a nice pat on the back and being like, okay, everything's going to be okay. You're amazing. But actually the word encourage means to inspire someone with courage. Mm. So when you encourage someone, she's saying like, I'm breathing, I'm inspiring you with courage for what God's doing in your life. And if you can begin to even just in your life, in your day-to-day life, begin to speak encouragement, it will foster the atmosphere mm. for the Yeah, that sounds so good. And around this living in the prophetic, is there anything else you would like to add into our conversation in this? I think um, God wants to move us from understanding the prophetic as prophetic words to He's moving us from prophetic words to prophetic culture. And what do you mean by that? And I think what I mean by that is, is that I think if we stop in a point where like our only expression of prophecy is someone standing up and giving, uh, giving a word over someone, I think we reduce elements of what the prophetic is. And I think, uh, I think what God wants to do is he wants us to be people who don't just look at being the next person on a platform standing up and giving these great words, but actually cultivating an environment where people can learn how to prophesy, people can learn who they are in God. I love what John Wimber said. He said, we don't need growth, we need health, because what is healthy will grow. That's so good. The thing about growth is that like, growth is not like, 
in our Western culture, growth is results focused. But if you think about growth in, in nature, on a garden or in a forest, like you guys mm. have in Sweden, growth's not results focused. It's organic. If something's healthy, it's going to grow and it requires mm. tending and it's going to require cutting back and, you know, it's going to be messy and it's not always going to be like, you can just take something from here and just plant it there. Like you really have to pour your life into it. And mm. I see that with my in-laws, they love, they've got an amazing garden. It's always like, just like, you know, just tending this thing for mm. years and years. You see these trees begin to emerge and it's beautiful, but it's, mm takes time and it takes effort and it's something that I think is it's in essence we pour our lives in, in, into that space and you know I was sharing some stuff with our team the other day and I just felt like I wanted to share it with anyone listening for some of us we've been in the prophetic ministry or we've been going after some things for some time and God just wants to say to us like there's something fresh that he's doing in the prophetic and he's for some of us he's just saying he's wanting us to undomesticate the prophetic and I believe that He's calling us not to play it safe. You know, often we talk of, in the vineyard, we're so good at this. We talk about disclaimer language, you know, we say like, I feel, I believe, and, mm. you know, but sometimes I just felt God say, sometimes we've leaned into disclaimer language, but often at the expense of giving disclaimers for what God is doing in our lives and what he's called us to bring and who he's called us to be. You know, it's almost like God says, you don't have to have disclaimers. They're not called you to be men and women of power. And sometimes we try to live in a place of balance, which is really good. But at the same time, God is calling us to a place of extravagance and radical faith. And I feel like what God is doing at the moment, he's calling many of us back to that place of first love where like you actually, if you see him and you see the fire in his eyes, it's just like it ignites something in you. Mm. And you realize like, you know, God is about things, a great work on the earth at the moment. And we don't only just carry the word of God to bring prophetic work for people in our meetings and our churches, but there's an element where people in the prophetic also carry a sense of like contending for the voice of God over their own city and their own. I believe that he is just breathing something afresh in us. And it's like a fresh roar that God wants to release in the prophetic. And it's not so much focused on giving better words, but bringing those around us into a culture and atmosphere of revelation where people can hear the voice of God. So yeah, I just feel like some of what we're saying now, people are listening to God's just like, it's going to ignite a fresh passion and a fresh fire in your heart. Some of you might have never prophesied before. And some of you guys might may have been doing it for years, but I feel like there's a fresh sound of the voice of God going out on the earth. That's going to resonate. So good. Thank you so much. I, oh, yeah, worries. it's so good. Amen. And I think also that's a, uh, Wonderful uh, summarize to this talk. I was to ask you what you wanted to summarize, but I think this is a really good kind of ending of this talk. And yeah, I'm so thankful for having you here today. It's been so great to talk to you. But before we end, is there anything else you would like to say? Oh, thanks, Jan. It's been so good, man. It's funny as we were as you were finishing up, you may have seen on on the camera like our lights dimmed. <laughs> If you know anything about South Africa, you guys may have heard of the concept of load shedding. We have a bit of an energy crisis here in the country. And so like we have these rolling blackouts where like at some points in the day, like we just don't have electricity. So our power just went off a few seconds ago. I just felt that like there was something significant in that. And, you know, we as South Africans, we've got so used to and so familiar with living without power. And I just feel like there's something prophetic on that where Sometimes as Christians, sometimes as believers, we can be familiar with what God's doing or with what we think faith looks like. 
that we get used to living from a place that's devoid of the power of God. And I just feel like there's a, a fresh thing that God's doing where he's calling us back yeah, in the midst of all the craziness in our culture, in the midst of all the things that are going on in Europe and mm. in China and all over the world. There's something where God's saying like, I'm looking for a people who just marked by my presence and my power. And mm. that's what I want to leave you guys with is in the beginning, it says, God said, let there be light and it was light. And it was one word that he spoke and we still see that light today. Mm. And there's something about the prophetic that releases with it the faith and the life to accomplish that which is spoken. So when you declare and give a prophetic word, you're not only just stepping out in faith and saying like, I believe this is what God is saying over you, but you're actually releasing life and you're mm. actually releasing the power of God to actually do that thing in that situation, in that person's life. Mm. And the word of God in your mouth is as powerful as the word of God in his mouth. And so I really just want to encourage you and provoke you that you know, God is doing something incredible on the earth in the midst of this crazy time. And he's just looking for people who would partner with him and begin to say like, God, there's something. Mm. There's that atmosphere of heaven that you were speaking about earlier. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to just see what God's going to do in these days. I feel like the best is yet to come. Mm, sounds so good. Thank you so much, Dave, for being here. And God bless you. And I hope you will have a really good summer break here coming up for you. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Jen. It's been so good being with you. And so looking forward to when you guys eventually come out here. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, we're looking forward. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to follow the Vina Nordic movement and everything that is happening, you can go to Facebook and Instagram and follow us under Vineyard Nordic. You can also help us by subscribing to this podcast on the different podcast platforms. When doing that, you will also get an update every time we have a new episode out. So again, thank you and see you again next time. Bye bye.